Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Holy Harkin! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Excellent! With your host, Brad Allen. Well, isn't that extra special? Recorded live at Bay Area Studios. Join Brett each week as he interviews celebrities, influencers, authors, high-level entrepreneurs, and much more. At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Giddy up. And you never know who may stop by. Now, here's your host, Brett Allen. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Memorial Day edition of the Open Mic Podcast. Brett Allen here. Excited to be here with you. Country superstar and legend Lee Greenwood is on the line. If you don't know who he is, he has written such songs, you know, as God Bless the USA, Dixie Road, just to name a few. He has performed with Barbara Mandel, Ricky Skaggs. The list goes on and on, and I am excited and honored that he has chosen to be on the show today. Lee Greenwood, welcome into the Open Mic Podcast, sir. It is great to have you on the show today. Thanks very much, Brett. Well, I'm excited to chat with you, but the big question is, is we've been in quarantine now for a couple of months, and hopefully it's all, all coming to an end. How, how has that been for you? How have you been handling it? What, what have you been doing to, to keep yourself busy? And uh, are you binging Netflix? What's going on with you? Well, I think we're helping Netflix with their uh, stock. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, so. It, it's a little bit of Groundhog Day where... I, I'm actually, when I'm not touring, I have a lot to do around my own home anyway, so uh, I'm kind of a handyman, and we have a son that lives in Nashville, where we actually live about 15 miles from him, and my wife's parents live in Mount Juliet, which is another about 40-minute ride, so we have family nearby. But for the past two or three months, we actually went to Florida, and just we have another place at the beach on the West Coast, and we just we just sequestered, I mean, quarantine, and we didn't need anything, we didn't go anywhere. But, of course, now as things begin to wind down and wind up, uh, wind up for us, all these virtual shows, we are kind of plugged back in. I'm back in Franklin, and where we live, and um, beginning to uh, communicate. I mean, it's kind of like you, I was a dropout. And not since I think I was 12 years old, uh, growing up in North Sacramento, California, have I ever been told I couldn't work. And it's just been really odd. Yeah, it has been very interesting. Now, I was furloughed about a month ago, and ironically, I just found out that it's going to continue because things are still slowly opening up over here on this side. And it sounds like over on your side, things are starting to warm up a little bit. But that's interesting. You've been doing those virtual performances as well. I wanted to get your opinion on this because you've been in the industry for over 20 plus years. And you just mentioned that you grew up in Sacramento, which is fun because I'm very close to that where I'm at. And, you know, the industry, people have gotten creative. They've, they've gone on to social media and they're doing these virtual shows. I know you've done similar types of things, but once we kind of get back to normal, how do you see the industry moving forward as far as like being able to perform live and do concerts of concert events and those types of things? Yeah, that's the hardest thing. I, I know that sports events, large sports events, will uh, commence without crowds. And it's, it's kind of a shame in one way, but if I, I mean, I sing at a football game probably every year, several, as a matter of fact, college and pro, and uh, it'll be odd not doing that. Um, I was supposed to sing the Coca-Cola 600 on Memorial Day, and there's no pre-race event, so I will not be there in Charlotte. 
uh, they're going to run the race, though, without any fans, as you see. Uh, those kind of events will take place, I guess, basketball, baseball, hockey. It'll all, uh, it'll all go on as scheduled. But for our business, our entertainment, uh, we want the thing. The venues who have contracted us want us to be there. But if they can't get a crowd, I mean, you'll be singing from four walls. So we moved a lot of our concerts either to the fall this year or next year to avoid that uh, that detriment. I, I just I feel bad for everybody. Um, of course, my band and crew are all furloughed um, at the moment, but uh, we're itching to go back to work. Yeah, I can imagine so. You know, because I think this thing has it seems like has lasted forever. It's been what over two months now. And things, as we mentioned earlier, are starting to warm up a little bit and wind back up. And I know yourself and other folks that I've had the privilege of chatting with are just ready to go. Like, we're kind of like, let's do this. Um, I want to go to a live show. I had tickets to go see somebody here in the Bay Area, and it got canceled. I was really bummed because Dave Matthews, I've been wanting to see him forever. And when he comes he sells out every single time up in Berkeley. And this time I had gotten tickets to make it happen. And then we got put in lockdown and uh, now everything is just postponed until next year. They've just decided they don't want to risk it. They're not going to hang on to hope anymore. And they're just saying, forget it, Uh, which is, I can understand, you know, the safety of everybody is important, but at the same time, you know, I think we're all just ready to say, Hey, let's do this. Let's get moving and uh, move forward. Now, you grew up in Sacramento. Just as a side note, do you make it out this way very often anymore? Do you have any family or any other connections out here? Or was this just mostly a place where you kind of grew up and, and that was it for you as far as being out in this in this area? Yeah, I have a sister that lived there for a number of years. She has since moved to Boise, Idaho with uh, one of her daughters. I have another sister in the Bay Area. My father is gone now and he used to live in the Bay Area. Um, I, just as a sidebar, my favorite band is Tower of Power. And, oh, of course. Uh, they're our Oakland uh, natives, you know, and I, I, I'm a rocker, uh, R&B player. Country was kind of the last thing that I thought I'd ever be having a career in, and it wasn't until um, I moved to Tennessee in 1980 uh, that I, I found that that would be my niche. Mm-hmm. But uh, I still have R&B roots and jazz roots. And I learned a lot of that in Sacramento. I, when I was in grammar school at Hagenwood, I was uh, raised by my grandparents on Reland Boulevard. I went to the First Baptist Church there in North Sacramento. Um, my grandparents had a small farm. We were sharecroppers. We didn't have much land. But I was allowed to uh, uh, pick the sweet peas and bundle them and put them in my basket, uh, my bicycle, and take them down to Mr. Sai's Chinese market and sell them for what I could get and uh, buy my own clothes. Uh, we had a, we had a lumber of fruit trees that I could also you know pick the figs and the peaches and and whatever and take that down and sell it and uh, and and that was my that was my little era. I went to Los Palmas Junior High School, Norte Rio High School, which is now Martin Luther King Junior High School. Um, but I don't get back to Sacramento very often now, be, um, only as a touring artist. And I played the State Fair a couple times since then, but. Uh, uh, I have no no family lives there anymore. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this, as I mentioned earlier, for a very long time. You were a piano player, and then you picked up the saxophone. And your first band, you even put together the Moonbeams, which I think is very cool. Uh, and you had your sister playing with you. And so when you started that, 
did you ever have this idea in your head until, I mean, you were obviously discovered later down the road, you know, by Larry and, and that crew there. But when you were playing music, did you ever see yourself in your mind going, I could do this as a living? I mean, you've obviously got a great work ethic just describing what you did. But did you ever think this is going to be it for me? Like this is going to be the trajectory that, that I've been put on as a person and, and something that I will do for a lifetime? Absolutely. I knew that at the age of 10 or 11, 12, when I began playing professionally and making money, um, that I would make a living at that. And I left home at 16 years old, right after my high school graduation. I actually didn't even pursue, uh, I, I wasn't even in my graduation. I left the day before. I uh, picked up my diploma later. But I opened at the Golden Hotel in Reno when I was 16 years old with my own band called The Apollos. Uh, which is after the Moonbeams, and my sister was not in that band. Um, so I, I immediately started making pretty good money, you know, as an entertainer. And then after a couple of years, a couple of USO tours, I ended up in Vegas at the Stardust Hotel with, uh, with my group, the Apollos, and we, uh, and we played there for a year straight at the Stardust. And then I became a union member in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I am still a 50-year member of that local. Uh, but it wasn't until I got discovered in Tennessee that I actually picked up everything and drove my pickup truck to Nashville and started my career where I now am. Wow. Such an iconic career. Now, over the decades, you've had some great opportunities. Who are some standout people that you've had the opportunity to perform with as an artist? Um, all of the country people that you probably could think of. I toured with Tammy Wynette. Uh, Charlie Pride, Barbara Mandrell, her and I had a duet album that I wrote the title song, We Were Meant for Each Other. I wrote a hit song for Kenny Rogers, then I toured with him as well. The Oak Ridge Boys, Alabama, you name it, the Gatlin Brothers, I toured with them all. And, uh, and it was exciting. The only mix I had, I think, with somebody out the country music era was before I moved to Nashville, and I played all of the venues in Vegas. I had my own reviews. Uh, with my own band called the Lee Greenwood Affair while I was there and featuring me as an artist, but still a backup band. And uh, I dealt cards in the casinos for three, four years. I became friends with uh, Sammy Davis Jr. who was the, the Rat Pack. I knew Bill Medley, who I opened for him at the Flamingo while Elvis was in the main room. We, you know, talked occasionally. And so it, it, rubbing elbows with people famous like that, and I was not famous yet, it only inspired me to move forward and pursue that. But I have to tell you, at the age of 37, I pretty much gave up. I mean, there, there wasn't an opportunity for me anymore. Really? Um, yeah, I moved to Los Angeles when I, uh, I can't pin the year, but I think it was 76. And we had a record contract at Columbia, at the Cap, um, um, Paramount. And my producer... Jerry Matthews, who was producing, uh, I'm sorry, Jerry Fuller, who was producing uh, Johnny Mathis at Columbia, we made one record, and I still have that record somewhere, and I moved to Los Angeles the next morning, there was the 7.5 earthquake there, and it was kind of like, maybe you should go back to Vegas, and uh, <laughs> I, I stayed, and I stayed too long, um, pretty much went broke uh, with everything I had, and then worked my way back to Vegas, and then worked my way to Nashville. And it, that whole period of time, about eight to ten years, 
was like, it's so frustrating. I don't know if this is going to happen. And just about the time you give up, that's the time it strikes. And so uh, I moved to Nashville when I was 37. And then, of course, my career took off. And then the next year, and it was Katie bar the door. Wow. I mean, it's just so iconic to think about all of the things that you have done and, and the fact that you knew at such a young age that you were going to do this professionally. And I also find it interesting, and I and I appreciate your honesty, Lee, about the fact that you, you kind of got to a place where you wanted to just quit because you kind of felt like that you had reached your maximum capacity as far as whatever was going on at the time. So that leads me to a question that I would like to ask, and, and I would love to get your perspective on this. Today, it seems that, well, let's back up a little bit. When you started, it was just all about hard work, talent, and hustle. There was no reality TV shows like American Idol or The Voice or those types of things. And Correct. today, now it seems like, and I've interviewed a lot of these types of people, so I'm not knocking on it at all, but it seems like today, you know, there seems to be, I don't know if shortcut is the correct term, but maybe another, maybe that is the right term where they can kind of go on to these shows and then they get launched into stardom. Do you feel like that that kind of takes away from the experience of the artist of, of the hard work? Or do you look at those as maybe good opportunities? There's no right or wrong answer. Definitely not trying to paint you in a corner, but I, I'm just curious for someone who's been doing this for so long, what your thoughts are on that whole concept. Have you been watching The Last Dance? I have, yes. I've been watching it. Yes, that's so, a great show. So let's compare Michael Jordan to Scotty Pippen, who Pippen at the time signed a contract for $18 million and worked his way as the number two greatest player in the, in the uh, NBA. But Michael Jordan demanded all the money, became the star, because he was the number one player. Mm -hmm. And so if you take somebody in today's market that becomes a monster success within a very short period of time. Um, you may not have a lasting career. Uh, you may make the big money in the front, let's say like an NFL player, who may only have a career of 10 years, and you're making huge amounts of money, but if you don't invest it right, by the time you stop playing, you're going to have to go somewhere else. But you still will be a household name, a Hall of Famer, if you will. My career was more like, I'm going to grind it out. Mm -hmm. And I did that until I was 37. And then my career hit. But I will tell you that economically, it still took me three years to get into the black. So without a grind out attitude, without a, I'm going to stay in this and not, you know, if I'd have had, I had actually two wrecks on a highway. I had a bus wreck and a truck wreck. Mm -hmm. if, and that was 83 and 84. If I'd have had one more wreck, I don't care how many hits I had in the future, I was done. There was no way I could pull out of an economic black hole, with even with my attitude of work, 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 uh, the economics would have buried me. But fortunately, we never had another wreck, and I was able to bail out of that black hole and, and move forward economically after hit, after hit, after hit, after hit. Today's market, where now you don't even have the CDs that sell, you have the download of a single. It's starving the writers. So even a writer can't make... Uh, big money by having it on a hit CD um, unless they have the single. So a lot of writers are starving because of the internet business. So I feel bad for them, but it just depends on what you want. If you want a career to be appreciated as an artist, then no matter how much money you make, you will still be successful 
because your pursuit of the art. If you're in it for the quick money, it doesn't matter whether you're famous or not, as long as you get the money that you think you deserve and want and take that and retire, and your name will still be mentioned sometimes in the future, but certainly not as a megastar. Interesting. Jerry Seinfeld said something similar on an interview that the shows, what they do is sometimes they give these folks a false hope because they do really well, and then they say, welcome to you know, the industry, welcome to the entertainment world, but really it's more like you did well tonight or you may do well tomorrow night or the next night, but then the night after that you might just bomb. And then you... Well, that is my philosophy as well. Mm-hmm. You're only as good as your last performance. I'm 77. I'll be 78 in October this year. I guarantee you I can still sing like I did when I was 40. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> so so you, have to keep, you have to keep producing. Um, and it's not because... It's not because I'm pursuing wealth. I mean, I, I'm fine. I, it's, just, it's just I love to sing still, and I love, um, I love to entertain. But my career as a country performer would have been fading long ago without God Bless the USA. I, let's, let's be honest. But I will tell you that God Bless USA may be a parachute, but it is I'm an umbrella, but it is not a parachute. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're producing a new 20-song CD for 2020, all songs that are original songs. And <laughs> unfortunately, because of the pandemic, I may not get to this and finish it before December, so I may have to write another one and be 21 <laughs> songs for 21. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is funny. That is hilariously. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because really, God bless the USA, now that we're on the topic, obviously, like, if you don't know that song then you're living under a rock because everybody has covered it from Beyonce to, you know, everyone. Gosh, I remember growing up, uh, we used to go to Branson, Missouri every year and we would go see the ball knobbers and we would go see the foggy river boys. And we would see all of these people in Branson and the Presleys and good Lord, God bless the USA was part of every performance uh, at the end of the show, or, you know, who knows? I mean, even Ray Stevens sang your song. So uh, Who's it's a friend of mine, by the way. Oh, Ray is fantastic. Oh boy, man. Yeah. I, I grew up listening to him and my father, when he was alive, he used to travel for a living and boy, you're eight tracks. Now see, I'm 46. So we had eight tracks. My dad would listen to your eight tracks, his eight tracks in the car as he traveled nice. across the country and uh, Ray Stevens, I-, I saw him, I think, several years ago, probably about four or five years ago. He came out to the Bay, and I think I was probably the youngest uh, <laughs> person in the crowd, but it was, yeah. it, was, it was the best. I mean, he did all of his hits, uh, Everything is Wonderful, or Everything is Beautiful. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, But you have that song that's so iconic, and... Um, but you're honest with yourself too, which I really like in the sense that, you know, you're still working hard and you're still putting out music and uh, you just haven't stopped because really you could have retired at some point if you really wanted to. Right. I mean, you know, when, when, when you get to that level of stardom that you're at and you have those hit songs and there are others too that you are known for, but I think most people know God bless the USA 
But, uh, I mean, you could have stopped, you know, I guess what, what kind of prevented you from doing that? Did you ever have that thought in your head where you go, I can be done now, or you just wanted to keep driving? Yeah, I never thought about retiring. Well, we've talked about it recently only because of my age and, uh, and my wife and I have some plans about traveling more and touring the world. And I think, um, I, I may conclude my touring life but not end my singing life or my writing life. So there's a difference uh, to get out on the road and tour like I am currently when this pandemic is over. We'll start touring again in uh, August and uh, and have a full Christmas season. I probably do 120, 130 shows a year wow. with my band on the road and bus uh, that's sponsored by ABC Supply out of Deloitte, Wisconsin. And so as long as I have that in place and I'm a touring artist, that's a whole different image than basically being just an iconic artist who gets a call to say, we have a private show in Montana for 200 people come and sing God Bless USA for 100 grand. Okay, I'll do that. But, <laughs> of you know, course. But I mean, to be real, I mean, if, 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 I'm, if I'm touring and, and I'm playing all of these venues I've played for the last 30 years, people are, are, uh, are serious fans who will still come to see me, but they're getting older. And so a few less and less will come, even though I've won a lot of the younger artists, uh, younger fans, because of God Bless USA, that may be the only song they know of mine until they download or Google my career, and then they go, oh, those are kind of cool. And that's what my boys do. I have a 21-year-old and a 25-year-old, and they, you know, they Google other artists, and they have a playlist from many, many other artists, and it ranges anywhere from heavy metal to opera. And so... It's hard to really build a Motown career or a country career like we used to. It's very changed now. Yeah, it's completely different, I think. And I've talked to other artists like yourself, and they have come out of this era of where record deals were completely different than they are now, where they would have you come in and they would have this big steak dinner for everybody and smoking cigars, and it was just this whole thing, something that you would probably see in a movie, right? And they, you know, would spend thousands and thousands of dollars on folks like yourself or other people celebrate. And then, okay, now you got to go out on the road for 12 months and recoup all this money, uh, that we spent. (laughs) And, uh, exactly. And, and it's, and from what I understand too, you know, the labels now, they, they get a piece of all of your life, you know, not just your music. Now it's your merchandise. It's this, it's that, the other. Everybody gets paid, so to speak. So I can understand how now it's kind of like those private events are probably more appealing on some level. But I mean, we got to get people to know more of your music. Ring on her finger, time on her hands, you know, uh, all of these great songs, Dixie Road. And I know these by, by memory because these are the songs that I was raised on and that my father had me listen to. So hopefully my son one day, who's five and a half, We'll, we'll have an affinity for music and uh, want to somehow be a part of this iconic uh, history. Now, you mentioned your sons. What do they think of dad? Do they show any interest in the music industry at all? Or are they just kind of like, it's cool what you do? And uh, we, we value that, but we're not really interested in, in that sort of thing. Our older son, Dalton, um, was valedictorian of his high school. But he was also a singer and an actor. He did undergrad at Washington University in Virginia, uh, came out with a biochem major, and he was in the men's choir, the a cappella choir, and now he's in Nashville. He is at 
and sings in the Methodist Church Choir. Uh, but he is also getting a PhD in cancer research at Vanderbilt. Oh, wow. That's so, awesome. So that's his, that's his choice. That's his career. His younger brother, who's now 21, is a chancellor scholar at TCU. And because he was a tremendous um, uh, actor, singer, and now musician, plays piano quite well, uh, and he's not commercial yet, but, but he's a student of music, he's a musical composition major, and he had a perfect science score in high school and a perfect SAT. So, so they're both similar science and music brains, uh, but only the younger boy will pursue it as an art. And he could easily have went to Broadway right out of high school, but he said, I don't want to be on stage, nor do I, or, or that I know that uh, uh, if I went to Broadway in New York, it would be a not long-lasting career. I don't agree with him on that, but that's his choice. So he's going to write music and sing it. He has his own uh, YouTube account, Parker Greenwood. You could look it up and uh, and see some of the songs he's written. Thanks. Yeah, well, maybe one day Dad can convince him to uh, come out on the road and maybe play a couple shows with you. That would be fun, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, that'd be nice. Well, that would be great. Time, we did the uh, uh, two years ago when I came off my Christmas shows. The Tennessee Titans asked me if I would sing Tennessee Christmas for the halftime, and then God bless the USA. So I had both my sons come, and they sang background with me for God bless the USA at Titan Stadium. Wow, that's very cool. Well, as we wrap this up here, let's talk about this Memorial Day event, streaming event that you have coming up, which is super important. And this will air before that event happens, this episode that we're talking on. Let's talk about that and what people can expect from that. Well, as we were preparing for 2020, we uh, were in rehearsals with all of our super hits. Uh, as you had mentioned, several of the song titles, drawing from our um, 18 different albums of the past at MCA and Capitol and Curb and just making this more of a hit tour. And uh, so that's going to be part of our live stream event on May 25th at 4 p.m. Central Time. Uh, but we're also going to, because it's on Memorial Day, and I never like to not have a presence on Memorial Day, Labor Day, um, July 4th. And so we will include a tribute to our military and, uh, and those who have served and gave us the right to, uh, to actually be on television and and be on the internet and have shows. So I, it'll be a serious tribute to our uh, soldiers and sailors, airmen, marine, coast guards. Fantastic. And of course, I'm sure God Bless the USA will pop up in there at some point. I think if you never did that song at an event, people would probably be shocked. Or maybe you could throw them a curveball and, and decide to not do it one night when you're performing. I think I'd get lynched. <laughs> it's like Michael W. Smith not singing Friends at a performance. Like if he didn't sing Correct. that song people would just go ballistic. I mean, even if you just give them a little tickle on the keys, a bar or two, I think, you know, people would be like, oh, fantastic, but why didn't he not do the whole song? <laughs> yeah. Well, the joke around Nashville is if Lee Greenwood doesn't sing God Bless USA on July 4th, you might as well take down the flag. <laughs> and guess what? I'm not. So uh, it's an interesting time where uh, we have to do this virtually. And on July 4th, there will be a collaboration, which will be announced shortly, between Home Free, an acapella group, the United States Air Force, and myself. And uh, it'll be aired July 4th. Fantastic. Well, Lee, thank you for... That's awesome. I'm excited for that. I will definitely be watching that live streaming event. One last question. If people are listening and they want to just connect with you more on a personal level, where can they find you and your music? 
all on my website, LeeGrieber.com. As a matter of fact, we printed up a new shirt with lyrics from my song, I Won't Forget the Men Who Died. And that is available now. If you'd like to wear that for Memorial Day, get on our website and order it immediately because the shirts just came in today. Wonderful. Well, Lee, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it, sir. All right, Brett. You have a great day and stay safe. You too. Cheers, my friend. That brings today's episode to an end. Thanks for choosing to stop by and listen. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend and hitting the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Is it all over, Rock? I guess so. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>